Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church, our online worship service this morning. Uh, This is our fifth week of our exclusive online services, and we're just so glad that you've joined with us today and hope that you've already experienced uh, worship in the the Lord's presence, and we can't wait to see what he's going to do as we continue on this morning. Um, I do know that I'm looking forward to being able to be back in person with our our church family on a Sunday morning, uh, and and I can't wait for the hugs and that... and all that's going to be involved with that. But I also uh, know that this has afforded us some opportunities to make acquaintance with some people that maybe we've never met before and maybe will not meet here on earth, uh, people from uh, other parts of the state and even around our country. So thank you for sharing with your friends and family. And also just thank you for being a part of this with us today. Speaking of other states, this week I was uh, something had come across my mind. So I was looking at the fact that every state that, that I know of has some sort of a nickname. And a lot of them are on their license tags. State, the, like Lincoln, for instance. Uh, Illinois is the land of Lincoln. Or New York is the Empire State. Or you have Kansas, where I'm from. It's the, uh, you know, it's the Sunflower State, or we call it the land of Oz, right? Or you have Michigan, which is the Wolverine State. Or Texas, the Lone Star State. But one of the states, kind of our neighbor, it has a name that's always intrigued me. And you'll see it on many of the license tags. It says the Show Me State. And that would be the state of Missouri. Well, whether you know it or not, many of you probably are aware that that actually came from a, a statement made by one of their congressmen. He made a, a speech in 1899 in, the, in Philadelphia, and here's what he said about Missouri. He said, I come from a state that raises corn, cotton, cockleburros, and Democrats. So frothy eloquence neither convinces me nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You've got to show me. We've got to be able to see it. The character we're going to talk about, the person of Scripture, I think would identify with that particular statement very well. We know him by the name of Thomas, or perhaps you know his nickname better as Doubting Thomas. Maybe we just figured out Thomas was just from Missouri. You know, he just was one of those kind of, you got to show me type people. Because what we're going to find that he says, I'm not satisfied with secondhand information about the resurrection. Uh, You're going to have to show me uh, the evidence of the resurrected Christ before I will believe. So what Thomas is going to show us today, I think some incredible truths about the series that we're currently in, and that's unshakable. We're talking about the the truths that shape uh, shape our lives But today, if we're going to be unshakable, we've got to be unshakable in dealing with doubt. Now, doubt is one of those words that sometimes we don't like to talk about. We we try to make it an unspoken thing, perhaps, but actually it's quite universal. We understand the fact of, of how doubts, especially when it comes to the Christian faith, those outside the faith, many that could be skeptical or even antagonistic towards the faith, or they might just be curious, but they're, they're set outside the, the faith with some doubts about whether this is really true. But then even within those who, who claim identity with with. Christ, as his followers, or uh, as, his, as his family, or even members of Bible-believing churches still understand themselves to have some doubts, and whether they express them or not, some doubts about what they, what they really believe. So if we're going to be unshakable, we're going to have to deal with these doubts. Now, doubts in them themselves are not unnatural, nor do they have to be unhealthy. In fact, they can be a motivation for us to really understand what we believe. And I think that's what we want to learn today from this story of 
Thomas. I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God put this encounter of Jesus and Thomas in the Scriptures. A couple of reasons. One, it, to me, it just helps verify that the Scriptures are true. Because God, if, if, if this was not a, a, an untrue book, then God would just only give the positive stories. But he gives the real stories. It's a book written by God, given to humans, about humans, and how human they really are. And even in the middle of their, their doubts and their problems. And so we have that kind of part of the story. But I also see in this story how God deals with doubts, and especially with doubters like Thomas or like myself. This gives me hope when I see how God deals with doubts. And also, there are some things we can learn that even will help me deal with my own personal doubts and what the things that I'm going through. So here's the thought today. If, if you currently or have formerly had some doubts Maybe you're going through some now. Maybe it is about uh, the validity of the Christian faith or about your own personal faith or about God's, God's love or God's care or, or the, the fact of even that God can use you. Any of those doubts and more, this is a talk for you to hear. So this morning, let's go back to, uh, in, in John chapter number 20, going back a week to Easter Sunday night, the Sunday night of the resurrection. And what we have is the disciples have gathered in this upper room, and, and they're, they're reeling still from all the things that have happened in that day. I mean, they've heard reports from, from the ladies that were there, and there's no body, and there's, uh, they've seen grave clothes, and they've heard about angels, and all but, but now they're wondering, so what's really going to happen? And they've gathered together, verse number 19 of chapter 20, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Now that's a common greeting, but I think it just has such an appropriate, such a powerful feel that in the middle of all of their fears and anxieties of that evening, that the first words out of Jesus' mouth is peace. And the fact that he had promised them peace would come, and, and now he, in the middle of all this, he, he just reassures them of that peace. And then verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them the place where, where the, the scars would have been from his crucifixion. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. What a great night. All of the things that they've heard about, now they, they are eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus. What an incredible thing. But there's one detail that we don't want to miss. If you go on down a few verses, verse 24 of John 20, after he said this, Jesus did, he, and he showed him his hands, it says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, he was, that was another one of his nicknames, this Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. See, there were 11 disciples still uh, of the 12 still living, but only 10 of them were in the room that night when Jesus officially uh, presented himself alive to them for the first time. Thomas was absent. So what we know late sometime during the next week, and not sure how long, the disciples began to tell Thomas about what had happened in verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. You're going to have to show me or I'm not going to believe. And this is where the, the man Thomas picks up his, his nickname of being Doubting Thomas. But before we get a little too judgy of Thomas, before I do, let's make sure we consider a couple things. First, Thomas was not the only one that was doubting that day. 
I mean, the Bible records when the women came back with the news that two gospels specifically say they did not believe him. Well, the they is all the disciples. He wasn't alone in his doubts. There was, they, they too, without seeing Jesus, were having doubts of their own about the resurrection. Another thing I know about Thomas is he wasn't a skeptic or an agitator trying to, uh, to, to do something bad to this group of people. He, he was a true follower of Christ. He had been one along with him on this journey, and yet he was still having this personal uh, doubts and, and anxieties. But the other thing that I notice about this is uh, I, think, I think I probably would have said some very similar things. Given the same set of circumstances, I can see myself having similar doubts. The more I've studied this sermon, the more personal this thing has really got. Because I understand that doubts are no joke. There are things that we, we experience and we, we, maybe we want to act like they, they're not there, but they're, they're real. Some of us may be more prone than others to doubting for whatever personal reasons, but I think it's safe to say that at some time, in some way, every one of us will go through a time of shaking caused by our doubts. And, and if we're going to come out on the other side of that earthquake of doubt with a stronger faith, if we're going to be unshakable in that, we're going to have to learn how to deal with these doubts that, that come across our, our path. And I think we're going to learn some things from Thomas about that. Let me start with a question. And the question simply is this, why do we doubt? Now, I'm not trying to justify, you know, a lack of faith or, you know, to, to rationalize that. But, but I do know that in our lives, we're going to experience doubts, and, and they come from a multitude of different sources, different things that may cause us to doubt. And maybe just identifying them could help us disarm them, or at least to be more aware of them. Let, let, me, let me take you through a few that I see maybe as we walk through Thomas's life. Number one would be this, personal failures will often trigger our doubts. Now, we know of Thomas uh, in the New Testament. Um, he's named about a dozen times. Usually it's in the list of all the other disciples. But three times we see Thomas actually speaking, three different occasions. And, and the other two also are in the book of John. And, and we kind of pick up some cues about his personality and even his perspective on life from some of the way that he, he speaks and some of the things that he says. For instance, in John chapter 11, Jesus has just told his, his uh, disciples, and Thomas would have been with them. He said, listen, we're going back to, uh, to the memorial service for our friend Lazarus. Well, that, that makes sense, except that where Lazarus was was a place that when they had left before, the disciples, and not too long before that, there was a lot of animosity. There was a, a death threats against Jesus. This, this was not a pleasant atmosphere that they were going back to. So then this is where Thomas is quoted. It says in verse 16, Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Another couple different perspectives on what he might have meant by that. Um, some people think, well, that's Thomas being pessimist Thomas. He was a guy that's kind of glass half full, you know, glass half empty, glass half, well, anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. He was one of those that saw the, the downside of life and, and, his, and, and perhaps that was part of his personality. But other people, when they see this and they read those words, they think of the, a loyalty and a courage that he had. He's, it's basically saying, if, uh, if we die, we die. So let's go and, and, and do what Jesus has said. In my opinion, it's kind of a mixture of the two. He was, had his own fears and angst, and maybe that was his personality, but he truly was a loyal follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's not too long after these events that we find all the disciples gathered in a room 
Thomas would have been there with them. The, the 11 disciples are gathered with Jesus. It's just hours before he's going to be arrested and ultimately uh, go to the cross. And there's this, this conversations happening. And in fact, through all the things that's being said, Jesus has just told Simon Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And, and, and Simon reacts in, in Mark chapter 14, verse 31. P, uh, Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Well, that's great, Peter. Those are great words. But I don't want you to miss this next phrase. And all the others said the same. All the others would have included Thomas. All, t- Peter and all the others said, we will never deny you. We will die with you. They were all making that statement. There's this, there seems to be this courage But what we know is within a few hours, a few verses here in this passage, we come down just right after the arrest of Jesus, verse number 50, then everyone deserted him and fled. When it came down and it really got serious, they all deserted Jesus. Every one of them would have included Thomas. So here we have a, a guy that at some point in his life, he was saying, I would die for you. He makes that statement. He, he seems to have that kind of courage. And yet now, can you start to feel a little bit of the shame and the guilt of, I, I, I lied. I couldn't keep my promise. I didn't have the, the courage to stand. And, and when we have those kind of times and we know we should have done and we didn't, and we begin to doubt ourselves and even begin to doubt God, and why should I do this? What's it worth to even keep trying? And, and uh, these kind of Doubts, these kind of things begin to trigger the doubts, the failures in our life. But not only failures, but also a lack of understanding will often fuel our doubts. One of the other quotes from Thomas in John kind of indicates that that Thomas was a thinker. I don't know if he questioned everything, but he certainly was not satisfied with just, with just hearing it. He wanted to, to understand it. He wanted to grasp it a little bit better. And so we have the same night. Jesus and his disciples are together, and, and they're in this room, and Jesus is encouraging them, and, and Thomas would have been there. And, and we, we find in John 14 that he starts a chapter with, you know, do not be troubled, do not be afraid. And he's telling them, listen, guys, I'm going away, but I'm going away to, to get a place ready for you, and then I'm going to come and, and get you. And, and Jesus actually says, and, and the way in which I'm going, you know, and that's about when Thomas, you kind of see him slip up his hand and say, hold on, teacher. He said, verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now, to be honest, I'm, I'm glad that question's in the scriptures. For one, it, it's a good question. Maybe everyone else wanted to answer. He was the only one that was brave enough to, to ask it. But it also then, the answer gives us one of the greatest principles in all of Scripture. Because here's how Jesus answered in verse number 6, basically saying, Thomas, um, you, you do know the way because I am the way the truth, and the life. Jesus said, Thomas, the way is not a map. It's not a set of directions. It's a person, and I am he. And, and, and that just sets such a stage for everything we believe. So Thomas is asked, and he, he's, he's got this answer, but what we find later in the evening, and as this continues on, they still weren't quite understanding everything that was happening. Jesus had already told him, I'm going to die and rise again, and he's going to repeat it again this night. But you can tell it's just not, it hasn't quite computed yet. And even on the day of his resurrection, the, the ladies come back from the tomb. They're telling them these stories of what they've seen and heard from the angels in verse 9 of John 20. But they, that's the disciples, still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. In fact, Luke's account of this tells when the ladies came back, this is what the disciples, they did not believe the women 
because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You can see Thomas and others, this just doesn't make any sense. Here's a guy who liked to have answers and he wasn't getting any. The fact that Jesus' death, that just didn't make any sense. The fact that a a man walking around who's died and now he's alive again, none of this makes any sense. Where is the logic? Where, none of this is, is computing. It, it, there, there, and it, all of this happening, and where does reality is, I found quite often, is God does things that, that I do not understand. He works in ways that, that don't make sense to me. And, and if I'm not careful, those things become fuel on the fire of my, of my doubts. And I, I've heard myself actually saying, if I just had an answer, if I just knew why, if I just could get, and, and that misunderstanding can then also lead to the point of, I, I'm not even sure that I can, can trust and believe. Failure, misunderstanding, they often set the stage for our doubts. But here's another thought, deep disappointment will often activate our doubts. Th- this scene before us, this, this was more than just a confusing, frightening circumstance. This was a devastating blow to these followers of Jesus. This was their teacher. Uh, this was their rabbi, but he was their friend. He was one that they had, they had grown in this kind of relationship. For him to die, and to die in such a cruel way, and, and they could do nothing to stop it? You know, I really believe that in some ways the doubts that, were, that Thomas was expressing just sprang from a broken heart of all that he had seen and he'd been the shock and the horror. It, it's all in the forefront of his mind. And, and just to show you, I think if you look in how he responded in verse 25 of John 20, when he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Can you kind of hear Thomas? He's not just saying, I want to see, but I, and it it almost seems so morbid. Thomas, but can you see the image is so embedded in his mind, he can't get that picture out to think that how his friend, how his Savior had died. Here's the point. When we face deep tragedy, we're vulnerable to doubts. Maybe it's a circumstances that we're shocked by, troubled by, maybe even a death of someone we love. When life doesn't go the way that we wanted or especially the way that we had planned, it's in those moments that we find ourselves vulnerable to, to doubting God, doubting God's love, even doubting God's existence. Why would God let this happen? There's one more possible cause of doubt we want to look at in Thomas's life. And that is that isolation from other believers often nurtures our doubts. Remember, we're at Easter Sunday night, the reports of Jesus being alive, the firsthand experiences that they're all coming back. Jesus shows up in person. But don't forget on that Sunday night, one guy was missing, and that was, was Thomas. Verse 24 again, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there that night. We don't have record of that. It could have been a very legit reason. But just in my thinking from what you see of Thomas, he could have been one of those guys that said, you know, I I just need to be alone. And there's nothing wrong with that. I get that. There are times that I feel that exact same way. But there is a, a danger we must be aware of that if we purposely isolate ourselves, especially over an extended period of time from those who are that are our family, are the, the family of God together, we, we find ourselves in a position where those doubts can just be fostered, can just be nurtured in our life. Thomas had not only missed the appearance of Jesus that night, 
But then he's hearing the disciples say, and we saw the Lord. I mean, they're, they're, they're not only to happen, but Thomas, you missed it if you had been there. And it, and it just on top of, of the, the already the feelings, now they, the, the idea that something that's part of his life that he missed out on, and, and now he's even feeling worse. There's no accident that Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that, that as believers, we should, not, we should be very careful not to forsake or not to neglect the, the, the assembling of ourselves together, as he said. It's an important time. And it, he says the reason being because we're there to encourage one another. We're there to, to help each other, to keep each other, uh, our faith warm, our faith hot in that sense. You know, what we've just been talking about even these last few weeks, the fact that we, how do we stay together as a church family when we socially uh, have to be distant and so we've found that in experience, how hard some of those th- things are. But that's things that we can't help. Those are things that are beyond our control. But if we have that choice and we make that choice to isolate and to, to pull ourselves apart, we, we put ourselves in a, a possible dangerous situation. I read a quote this week. Lisa Turker said this, Satan loves to isolate you so that he can influence you. He wants to have the only voice that you're hearing, that voice that, that is saying that, that there's truth other than, than what God said. And his voice just because the volume just peaks whenever we, we tend to isolate ourselves. And so there's, there's something about the fact of us staying with those we, that, that with God's people so that they can encourage and they can strengthen us and how important it is that we take that, we, we take that seriously. So maybe you can identify with one of these, these sources. Maybe that helps you be more aware. But the question now comes down to what do I do about this? How do I handle? How do I, in a healthy way, deal with these doubts in, in my life? As we talk about dealing with doubts, I'm going to ask, just give three simple sentences. And I hope through that we begin to, to understand. The first one would be this. Let your doubts push you to honestly pursue the truth. Don't let the doubts have the last word. Rather than standing on your doubts and saying, well, I have a strong doubt, let that just be something that, that seeks to pursue the truth, something to go after what, what is really the truth in our lives. We, we know that from what happens next in, in the story of Thomas, this is the week after Easter, verse 26 of John 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them. And again, he said, peace be with you. Great, another common greeting. But again, can you imagine, even in Thomas's life and what he's going through, this this promise of peace, great words. But then verse 27, Jesus now turns his attention to one specific guy in the room. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus literally opens it up and said, Thomas, here I am. Put your finger in, in the wounds. I, there's so many things about this. Whether Thomas ever did this or not, we don't know. We, what we do know is that Jesus, first of all, Jesus didn't leave Thomas in his doubts. He didn't, uh, you know, I, I would have been tempted to say, well, if you don't believe me, dude, if you don't believe in me and, and leave him, but Jesus doesn't discard us in our doubts. He doesn't, he, he doesn't uh, come against us in those. He, he actually came looking for him. He came after Thomas in this time of doubt. He literally appeared knowing Thomas would be there to make sure that Thomas could, could find out what he was looking for. Here's the thought. Are you at a Thomas time in your life? 
Maybe you're, you're literally finding it hard to feel close to Jesus or even you're, you're seeing some of these doubts coming. I would, I would suggest what Thomas did to, to reach out to the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Remember that Jesus' love for you and that will never change and you're never separated from his love. Reach out to those, those nail-scarred hands. But did you notice he also does something that Jesus had already set a precedent for earlier in the resurrection and that is that he invites doubters to come and see for themselves. Remember what the ladies at the tomb, they, they were there and the angel said, just come and see for yourself, personalize this. Make this something that you can see that, that God's not intimidated by your questions. That's the point we're getting at. He doesn't, he's not worried if you have some doubts and you don't understand it all and you've got some issues that are weighing you down. Don't, don't ignore the doubts as if they're not there, but don't feed them either. Don't say, well, this is, this is it and that my doubts are going to win. Pursue the truth. Come to God, because here's what I know to be true. You go after God's truth, and it will stand up to the scrutiny. You go after God's word, it will stand up to the scrutiny. God's not afraid of our doubts, so let them be something that helps you to pursue truth. Because remember, truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So pursue him, pursue truth, and let doubts just push you in that direction rather than let doubts have the final word in your life. Second sentence is this. Go to the truth of the resurrection and stand there. This, this one event that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks becomes the, the, the centerpiece of our, our ability to handle our doubts. We, we know that or believe that God to be trustworthy and that his word is, has objective truth that we can hold on to and he's given us his word so we can hear his voice and all those things. But how do we know that's true? And that's where he points to this, this very very critical event in history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the most historically verifiable events ever to happen. We have this ultimate truth that, that Thomas is witnessing here, and that truth will now uh, propel him through the rest of his life. We have a resurrected Savior. Later in the New Testament, Paul's going to put it like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If, if, all, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then really, what are we doing here? Let's go get lunch, because none of this makes any difference if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead. And, and, and then once we die, there's no hope. If, if all of those that, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, those who have died in him, there's nothing to hope for. And in fact, he goes on the next verse, verse 19, if only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. We, we are just a pitiful group. If this is all we have, if, Christ, if, if all we have is, is in this life, what, what is there to look forward to if Christ is not raised? And then verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And that becomes the thing that we center our faith upon. We do know that. And, and Jesus, in his wisdom and in his grace, gives us, just in the John chapter 20, the evidences that we have of, of Jesus. We have an empty tomb. We have a stone that's rolled away, a, steel that's, a seal that's been broken. We have grave clothes that are there. All of those are, there's, there's something has happened. The body is gone. The resurrection has happened. We have, going on, we have the, the personal testimonies of those who see a risen Savior. And we have a, a ladies and then we have these men in the upper room. And then ultimately that swells to, in 1 Corinthians, to over 500 at one time. What we have is a verifiable fact that Jesus died on the cross and then came back to life. And so when our doubts are assailing us, when we're having those feelings, there's one thing we can always say, Jesus is alive. 
The resurrection is a point that we can always come back to and stand on when in our scared, timid, bold times. And one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, examples of proof of Jesus' resurrection is how the lives of the disciples changed after the resurrection. Before, they were, they were fearful and they were timid, and now they're bold and fearless, and God is, has done a work in their life, and we see a whole different group of disciples in Acts after the resurrection. The, the point is this, whatever we're coming to, our doubts, we, we can always come back to this point. Jesus is alive, and we, we stand there. Last sentence is this. When the evidence is presented, it still involves faith. You know, it seems like it'd be a go without saying that once Thomas sees Jesus, his hands and his, and his side and so forth, but Jesus says it. Look what he, at the end of verse 27, Jesus says, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Okay, Thomas, you've got the evidence, but you still have a choice to make. Are you going to believe? Just because you see it, are you truly going to put your faith and trust in it? And do you understand that that is what we're all confronted with? We have a choice. We're presented with the truth. We're presented with the gospel. We're presented even the evidence of the resurrection. But still, will we believe? Just the message you're listening to now, it's going to come to a point. You're going to make a choice. Am I going to believe it? Am I going to continue to doubt it? Am I going to reject it? You come to this point. Stop doubting and believe is what Jesus tells, tells Thomas. And when faced with that that choice, here was Thomas's response. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Five of the most powerful words ever repeated in scripture, my Lord and my God. Now that's the ultimate cry of a heart that's searching, a heart that's doubting, a heart that has been looking. And when he realizes and he recognizes, and now his faith is, is real. And he says, my Lord and my God, look at that. Just the fact he says, my, how personal this is. This isn't just some religious system. This is a personal walk with him. This is my Lord and my God. And when he uses the word Lord, he's saying he is is the one in charge. He is the master. You are my Lord and then my God. This wasn't just some expression of a surprise. This was my God in that he's identifying Jesus for who he is. He is God. And then if he is God, then he is in control and he is the creator. This is my Lord and my God. These are the expressions that we have once we, we come and we say, I will trust. I will believe. Verse number 29, Jesus goes on to say, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's an interesting phrase here. That includes all of us who have believed in Jesus because we have not physically with our eyes seen the resurrected Jesus, but we've experienced him in our heart. We know that he's real. He has saved us. and We've seen the resurrection changing our lives. And he says there's a blessing on those who haven't seen the way Thomas did and still believe. But understand also, he's still talking to Thomas. He's saying, listen, Thomas, in a few days, literally, you won't see me with your eyes again, and there's going to come other times that you're going to have to doubt, and at that point, you still are going to need to believe, even though your your eyes physically may not see it. We hear all the time this phrase, seeing is believing. The truth is, Jesus says, believing is when you're really going to be able to see. When you believe, and you, you believe that what Jesus said, and by faith you trust him, then you'll be able to see what the truth is. And that's what it comes down to. At some point, you still, all the evidence you're going to see, you're still going to come down to, will you believe? Stop doubting, and will you truly believe? 
John kind of wraps up this passage and in fact kind of gives a purpose for his whole book. Verse number 31, powerful verse, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is personal. These things, what we're talking about, your doubts and all of that, it's God gave us this truth so that you could believe and by believing you could have, you could have life. Our, our doubts come are a part that we can deal with, with God's strength and God's power. I, I remember my personal life, the, part of why this, I understand what Thomas has said to some degree. You know, I, I, I like to I have my mind, it thinks a lot about things. And I remember coming to this point in my personal walk. When I'm, I'm now I've come out of home, I'm in college, and I had one of these Thomas moments. And I've had it often different times, but this one I'll never forget. I'm in college, and by that I mean Bible college. I'm studying to be in, in ministry, and all of a sudden my mind for weeks is just, just enamored by the fact, is, is what I've heard true? Have I just been told stuff and I've just accepted it? And I, I begin to, to doubt and to wonder, and I remember it was a night, and, and this is kind of funny because it was a night in Springfield, Missouri, right? So I'm in the show-me state, and I I literally, I was out on a country road and I said, God, I do believe you're my Lord and my God. Please let me see this truth. I want to believe you. Now, I've had moments of doubt ever since, but not anything that would ever change that moment in my life when I realized he is my Lord and my God. I don't know where you are in your doubts, but here's something I I can promise you, that when dealing with your doubts, we can rest in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a fact that we can go back to every time he is our Lord and our God. You know, the last time we hear Thomas mentioned in Scripture, it's Acts chapter 1 and verse 13. All the disciples now have, they've been with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus for 40 days They've heard him speak. They've, they've been in room with him. They've eaten, drank with him, and, and they've gathered. And, and now Jesus is sending them on mission. He says, you're going to stay here and be empowered. And, and so we find Thomas and the disciples now as Jesus has ascended into heaven, and they're in a room praying together. They're waiting for God to empower them. And Acts chapter 2 happens, and Thomas is part of that group that, that sees the empowerment of God come upon them. The first public service of the church meets, and thousands are saved. And, and from that point on, God uses Thomas and these others to be literally part of the reason that the world was changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have Doubting Thomas now being one of those forefront movers of the, of the gospel. In fact, history tell, goes on to tell us that, that Thomas was one of those who became a missionary. And history will tell us that he went as far as India, sharing the gospel of Christ. And Thomas' life came to an end when he himself was martyred for his faith with a spear that was stuck into his side. See, we have, we have a man who, yes, did he have doubts? Absolutely. He came to Christ and he said, I, I need to see. And God showed him and ultimately he believed and then he, he himself became one that God used in this powerful way. Let's go back to that verse, John 20, verse 31. These things were written so that you can believe. And believing in Jesus, Messiah, and that by believing you can have life in his name. My questions are simple. Do you believe? Have you believed in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, to, for, the one who came and died for your sins? Have you put your faith and trust in that sacrifice for your sins? Do you know him 
as your Savior. If you do, today, regardless of where you've been and some of the things we've talked about, the doubts that have come, are, are, are you still understanding that you're serving the same God and nothing has changed in who God is? And, and would you be willing to say, God, my Lord and my God, I trust you. I, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I, I believe in you and I will, I will continue to put my faith and, and my trust in who you are and what you've done for me. In, in spite of the doubts, Jesus, you're still God. It's not just with the doubts are gone, but in spite of them, God, I believe in who you are. I believe that you're the Savior and you're in control of my life. Maybe this morning the prayer would be from you. I, Father, I, I need to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. And you come before him and you admit that you're a sinner and you pray something like this, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. Save me. I want to be one of your family. Let God begin that work in your life as one of his kids to bow and say, God, I, I, I have these doubts. I have these feelings, but I believe you are Lord and God. I know that you rose from the grave and you come to him with that kind of faith. In a moment, at, at, the, at the end of our, our service today, we're going to sing another song that simply says those words, Lord, give me faith. Maybe that's your prayer today. It's God, give me the faith to stand and to believe and to trust you in a new way today. So this morning, let's pray together. I want to pray for you as we do. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Father, thank you for sending your son to die. And Father, that he rose again from the grave, giving us that absolute place of assurance and confidence, knowing that Jesus is alive. Father, give give folks that hope and that strength. If there's one here, one listening this morning that's lost without Christ, please draw them to yourself that they would come today and receive you. And for those believers, as we go through our doubts, help us to stop, to go back to the resurrection and ultimately to fall on our knees before the the resurrected Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. Father, just give us that strength today. We love you and we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.